Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, August 20th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. Kamala Harris last night officially accepting the nomination for vice president and former President Obama unleashing his disdain for the Trump administration. Plus, Trump's former chief strategist Steve Bannon charged with fraud in a border wall fundraising campaign. And with the federal response stalled, a new report revealing an economy that continues to be devastated by the pandemic. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. And we begin today with breaking news. White House advisor Steve Bannon was arrested this morning on charges that he and three others scammed hundreds of people that donated to a fundraiser campaign named We Build the Wall. Prosecutors say that Bannon and three others orchestrated a scheme to defraud hundreds of thousands of people in connection with that effort that raised more than $25 million to build a wall. Bannon was arrested on a boat off the coast of Connecticut by agents from the Postal Service. And another major story we are following. Today, a federal judge has cleared the way for Manhattan's top prosecutor to get President Trump's tax returns. That ruling echoes a prior decision in the case, which was upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court last month. Trump's lawyers were immediately have appealed the decision to the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And the 2020 Democratic National Convention ends tonight. But last night, the country heard perhaps one of the most critical speeches against President Trump ever delivered. It came from the country's former president, Barack Obama. All this as Senator Kamala Harris formally accepted the VP nomination. Andrea Linares has the highlights. Kamala Harris making history on night three of the DNC, becoming the first black woman, the first Asian American nominated to be vice president. Let's fight with conviction. Let's fight with hope. Let's fight with confidence in ourselves and a commitment to each other, to the America we know is possible. The America we love. The daughter of Indian and Jamaican immigrants, Harris outlined her vision of America. We must elect a president who will bring something different, something better, and do the important work. A president who will bring all of us together, black, white, Latino, Asian, indigenous, to achieve the future we collectively want. We must elect Joe Biden. Meanwhile, President Trump reacting in real time, tweeting, but didn't she call him a racist? Didn't she say he was incompetent? This as Democrats continue making their case, convincing Americans that Joe Biden is the right choice this November. One of the big speakers of the night, former President Barack Obama, who launched the sharpest attacks against President Trump. Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. And the consequences of that failure are severe. Initially, the convention had Mr. Obama speaking after Biden's running mate. But once Kamala Harris was selected, Obama suggested switching the order so he could pass the torch. In his remarks, he also described why he thinks his former VP is the right man for the White House. 
For eight years, Joe was the last one in the room whenever I faced a big decision. He made me a better president. But President Trump tweeting this in all caps. He spied on my campaign and got caught. Trump accused Obama repeating a conspiracy theory stemming from the FBI's surveillance of Trump campaign associates in the run-up to the 2016 election. Also on night three, issues central to the Democratic Party platform, including gun violence, climate change, and immigration reform. We are at a crossroads. We can let the shooting continue or we can act. And the previous Democratic nominee spent time highlighting the role of women in the party and urging Americans to get out to vote. If you vote by mail, request your ballot now and send it back right away. If you vote in person, do it early. Become a poll worker. Most of all, no matter what, vote. And Senator Elizabeth Warren became a voice to the enormous challenges educators and families are facing in a time when the coronavirus is still raging. Joe and Kamala will make high-quality childcare affordable for every family, make preschool universal, and raise the wages of every childcare worker. Tonight, Joe Biden will finally get the chance to speak during the fourth and final night of the 2020 Democratic National Convention. He will deliver what could be the most important speech of his political career from the Chase Center in Wilmington, Delaware. While former President Barack Obama mentioned President Trump in his remarks, Biden is expected to barely mention him. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And joining me now is Celeste Montoya. She's a political science and gender studies professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. Thank you for having me. Professor, it was a historic night at the convention. Talk to us about the major highlights that you saw. So last night was a great night for the DNC to highlight their commitment to women and to gender equality. They demonstrated that women are central to their leadership. We heard from Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, but also Gabrielle Giffords and Michelle Lujan, and of course, Kamala Harris. Uh, they demonstrated that the commitment goes beyond just including women at the table, but to actually listening to their concerns. Uh, from Elizabeth Warren talk, talking about how childcare needs to be a central part of our infrastructure, to the focus on gender violence, both issues that have become all the more salient during the pandemic. And as you mentioned, we also got to hear from Kamala Harris. What do you think of the personal aspect of her speech? You know, I think she did a great job. We know that women have the double bind of demonstrating that they're as strong and as capable of men, but also that they don't stray too far from some of those gendered expectations. Black women in particular have to fight against derogatory stereotypes. And Senator Harris uh, showed us, um, they, she highlighted her family. You know, we heard from her daughters and her little sister, but she also showed us her ability to stare down adversaries. Um, with her not so veiled reference to, I know a predator when I see one. And Professor, talk to us about the importance of Kamala Harris's historic nomination as a black woman and Asian American. What effect is it having on communities of color and second generation immigrants? I think it means so much. Um, you know, racial justice has been woven throughout the convention, but as Harris said, you know, there is no vaccine for racism. You have to do the work. Uh, and I think that she and Biden are gonna have to do the work every day. 
But at the same time, whatever questions voters have about Kamala Harris and her record, it's important to acknowledge that symbolic importance of her nomination. It means something to women, to women of color, to Indian Americans, to immigrants, the children of immigrants, to, to black women. While her actions and deeds are crucial to how these voters will evaluate her, her presence on that stage last night was meaningful. Don't doubt that those same groups are going to hold her accountable, but it doesn't diminish the importance of her presence on the Democratic ticket. Her recognition of the women that came before her, Mary, Lou, uh, Mary Church Terrell, Fannie Lou Hamer, uh, Shirley Chisholm, this was one of the most powerful moments of the night. It's been a long journey, and there's still a long way to go, but this moment is still recognizable. Well, thank you so much, Celeste Montoya, political science professor at the University of Colorado, for your time. Thank you. Meanwhile, controversy at the White House after President Trump offered encouragement to proponents of QAnon, a conspiracy theory that has gained major following amongst people who believe the president is secretly battling a criminal band of sex traffickers. Take a listen to what the president said. Well, I don't know much about the movement other than I understand they like me very much, uh, which I appreciate. These are people that don't like seeing what's going on in places like Portland and places like Chicago and New York and other cities and states. And uh, I've heard these are people that love our country and they just don't like seeing it. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok have all taken action to restrict the content published by that group. The FBI has warned that these conspiracy theories pose a growing domestic terrorism threat. Meanwhile, the controversy over recent changes at the Postal Service is expected to continue over the next two days. The Postmaster General is testifying and the House is getting together for a vote on a funding bill for the Postal Service just this weekend. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Hi, Carolina. Just yesterday, we were talking about how the Postmaster General DeJoy was talking about suspending temporarily those operational changes between the, uh, the Postal Office until after the election. That meant no changing the hours of the offices, no removing equipment, and even considering paying more overtime for the employees. Well, now we know that Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, had a call with DeJoy, and he said that he has no plans on restoring remove uh, mailboxes or the overtime. That's why the House is willing to take immediate action. They're scheduled to vote on this Saturday on a bill to try to deal with all these issues. Not only with funding, they are proposing and including in this bill a fund of $25 billion for the Postal Service Office. And also, they want to prohibit operation changes. That also includes um, making official election mail to be treated as a first-class priority mail. And also, they want to prohibit the removal of mail machines throughout the country and also order the reversal of any changes already made. And that's very important because even though the Joy made those announcements yesterday, there has been reports of the removal of many mailboxes throughout the country. Now, we do know that tomorrow the Joy will testify in the Senate, but before that, let's listen to what the White House had to say. So where is Nancy Pelosi? She and her Democrat colleagues will be back in Washington soon to pursue their latest manufactured crisis, the Postal Service. Democrats denied a $10 billion offer for the U.S. Postal Service by this president before they went on recess. But now they're back to pursue the latest Democrat manufactured crisis. It's sad, but it's clear where Democrats' priorities stand. 
Now the issue goes beyond the funding, Carolina. I can tell you that the leader of the minority in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, says that he's getting ready for that um, testify tomorrow in the Senate because according to him, um, they don't understand how DeJoy got that job. They want to question his qualifications. Schumer saying that he even sent a letter to the uh, members of the board asking them how he got that job at the end of the day. But they said that that information was classified and they could not provide that to him. Meanwhile, President Trump still criticizing the mail-in voting process, even his campaign releasing a video of the president filing his absentee ballot when he voted for the primaries in Florida. But again, the president making clear that he supports absentee ballot but not mail-in voting because he keeps saying that that will result in fraud in the next elections in November. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report from Washington, D.C. The question is, is there machismo in the United States? And can the Kamala Harris candidacy change that? We'll talk about this on Real America on Facebook Watch. And that was a preview of Real America with Jorge Ramos tonight on Facebook. You have to watch it. And now more than a thousand people losing their battle against COVID-19 just in the past 24 hours, while teachers around the country are fighting back hard to prevent in-person learning. Lorraine Casares has the latest on the pandemic here in the U.S. On Wednesday, another 1,356 people dying of coronavirus in the U.S. Officials tracking the spread now turning to sewage through a new CDC program that searches for the disease's genetic material. Experts believe even those without symptoms shed the virus through human waste. 20 states are trending downward, but the White House Coronavirus Task Force has a dire warning for Georgia and Kentucky as new cases there continue to climb. Georgia seeing the highest daily numbers of coronavirus cases per capita. The state's governor lashing out over a leaked report from the task force obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, warning Georgia needed to take stronger measures. This is what's so frustrating about pandemic politics and leaked reports. All I'm asking for is Georgians to get all the information. In Kentucky, more than half of the counties are in the danger zone. It means we're in the midst of statewide spread that we got to stop. And I believe we can stop. But you can't address a problem without admitting there is a problem. Meanwhile, as the school year gets underway, the Journal of Pediatrics publishing a study looking at nearly 200 children who were hospitalized or went to urgent care, finding that they carried a viral load significantly higher than hospitalized adults. Researchers also implying that schools may have to focus on testing strategies instead of temperature checks because kids could have high levels of the virus while also being asymptomatic. There have been some studies to show that children from 10 to 19 can transmit to adults as easily as adults transmit to adults. Teachers around the country putting up a fight. In the nation's largest school district, the New York City Teachers Union threatening legal action unless their school safety plan is met. This city went through hell and came back, and we are not going back to hell because of short-sighted political agendas. In Florida, where the death toll now has surpassed 10,000, an emotional hearing in the ongoing case brought by Florida teachers to stop in-person learning. I've chosen my kids, my, my students, over so many difficult things, um, but I, I can't put my family at risk. 
This as colleges and universities create systems to prevent an outbreak on campus. The University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire designating an entire dorm to only house students who test positive for COVID-19 or have been exposed. The University of Illinois developing its own saliva tests, trying it on its students as they return to class. Results accessed on an app in three to six hours to be shown at campus events and establishments. Meanwhile, in Puerto Rico, the governor there announcing that the island will now be on lockdown every Sunday to control the spread of coronavirus. Residents are only going to be allowed to leave their homes for essential activities. Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. And talking about reports, a new job report is showing how bad the U.S. economy is doing. The number of native workers seeking unemployment benefits rose to 1.1 million people last week after two weeks of declines. According to experts, that's evidence that employers are still cutting workers. Protesters and federal officers clashed for the first time in several weeks after crowds gathered outside the ICE office in Portland on Wednesday. Authorities say protesters have taken the streets for 84 nights in a row. Throughout the night, Wednesday, protesters tagged the ICE building with graffiti and broke several windows. In Minneapolis, the famous mural painted at the intersection where George Floyd was killed was vandalized on Wednesday. Someone sprayed black paint over Floyd's eyes and face. Residents chased him out of the area and are now trying to find artists to restore the mural. In Los Angeles, police say an investigation is underway after a man attacked and robbed three transgender women Monday in Hollywood. Video of part of the assault was widely shared on social media. It shows the suspect demanding clothing and jewelry and assaulting the women. During the incident, the suspect allegedly made remarks about the victims being transgender. And the sports broadcaster is no longer on the mic after he said an anti-gay slur live on air. Tom Brenneman has been suspended. A hot mic caught the broadcaster using the slur while announcing Wednesday's game between the Cincinnati Reds and Kansas City Royals. The announcer later apologized on air for using the offensive word. In a statement, the Reds said Brenneman will not be doing broadcast effect effective immediately. They also apologized for the incident, saying, quote, they were devastated by the horrific remarks. Before she died of COVID-19, one mother left a dramatic plea for people to take the pandemic seriously. Sara Montoya was confident that she could recover, but unfortunately, she passed away. Azul Alvarez has more on her message. Masks on. This was Sara Montoya's desperate plea from her intensive care bed in a Texas hospital as she fought a fierce battle against COVID-19. Never in my life did I ever think that I would be fighting for my breath, something that we take for granted every day. She implored people to protect themselves. It is not worth it. Put your masks on. Don't go out if you don't have to. She held on to life with all her strength and courage. I have fought too hard to have the life that I have now. And I refuse to give up. 
but the ghost of death haunted her relentlessly. Three years ago, I held my mom as she gave up her last breath. I'm not ready. Nobody could ever be ready for this. She asked others to face the pandemic with a sense of responsibility. Everybody thinks it's a joke. It's not a joke. She promised her family that she'd come back. But I grant you with the grace of God, I will be walking out of this hospital. I don't know when, but I will. But the virus took away all her hopes. After 44 days of fighting, she died in the hospital. Her husband was also infected. I stayed in the hospital for four days. I was able to leave, but unfortunately, she was not. Her daughter is now trying to focus on the good memories. She was always very happy. She always did everything for us. She was always there for us. Azul Alvarez, U News. More of U News after the short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. In Venezuela, the government of Nicolás Maduro is treating those infected with coronavirus almost like criminals. Andrew Peña has details on how oppression is being used against those who are sick. Guns and rifles to battle the coronavirus. This is the warlike approach that Nicolás Maduro's government is using to try to control the pandemic in Venezuela. You guys have to comply with security measures. The repressive approach that has mainly been managed by the police and the military, rather than letting the doctors dictate the response. Here in Venezuela, first there is no rule of law. The police and the National Guard can do whatever they want. Here, COVID-19 patients are seen more as bioterrorists who are locked up in hotels and schools in terrible condition than as sick people in need of medical care. De manera irresponsable con su You're irresponsible towards your country. I call you irresponsible towards your country, país, towards your family. In the numerous streets of the country's major cities, there are numerous checkpoints where the police and the military are stopping vehicles and arresting people who don't have the proper documents. Mano en la cabeza. And at the borders, soldiers patrol in search of people trying to enter the country illegally. The government accuses them of carrying the coronavirus that can infect the population. This is a task we are doing to guarantee the health and peace for all Venezuelans. The Venezuelan Armed Forces has gone as far as to ask the population to denounce undocumented migrants who illegally cross the border. We will apply the law for organized crime and financing of terrorism. But the contagion continues to spread with the country now registering over 35,000 cases and almost 300 deaths. 
Reported by Francisco Orezieta in Caracas. Andrew Pena, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. <laughs>